Hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had the pleasure of chatting with Josh Radner over Zoom video. I'm sure you recognize the name Josh Radner or know his character Ted from How I Met Your Mother. I've seen him all over television and a film for a number of years. But we had a chance to chat with Josh all about his music career. He's a phenomenal singer and songwriter. We talk about where he was born and raised. He grew up uh, just outside of Columbus in Ohio and has always been into music, into folk music. He started playing guitar about six years ago or so. We talk about his first musical endeavor, which was with Ben Lee. They had Radner and Lee, and that started with... uh, a friendship that formed between Ben and Josh, uh, them writing one song together and then eventually starting the project. They put out two albums. So we talk a little bit about those and we talk a lot about Josh's solo career. He put out an EP called One More Time, I'll Let You Go. And and now he's releasing a double album. The album's called Eulogy, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume one is out. Volume two is coming out in a month or so. Maybe you're listening to this now and volume two is already out. Uh, but Eulogy volume one and two, we talk about both both volumes of the album. Volume one being more uh, involved with uh, production and additional instruments. And we talk about the songs Learning and NYC and Red from the volume one album. And uh, Josh talks a lot about volume two, Eulogy volume two, which is completely different more lo-fi basically it was just josh recording his songs late at night with an acoustic guitar directly to tape it was a great conversation with josh just all about his music career and you can watch the interview with josh on our facebook page and youtube channel at bringing it backwards it'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel like us on facebook follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at bringing back pod And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well. And if you have a chance, hook us up with a five-star review and write a little review. That'd be awesome as well. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Josh Radner. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is about you and uh, your journey in music. Obviously, you have a huge acting career, but I'm want to focus on your music career and obviously talk all about this, this album you just are going to put out. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Um, so you're originally from Ohio. Is that what I read? Yeah. I'm from Columbus. I was just there this weekend. I played a great show Friday yeah, night. Hometown show. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. That's awesome. What was it like? Bexley? Is that where I saw the suburb that you were from? Yeah. 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 That was my town. Um, but like I said at the, you know, at the club the other night, it's like everything in Columbus is 10 to 15 minutes from every other place. It's uh, like okay. New York or LA. It's just like every place is really close. And if you're from anywhere in Columbus, even kind of outlying areas, you still feel this allegiance to the place. Sure. Kind of gets on your skin. Yeah. I was born in San Diego, but I was like this close to being born in Dayton, which is fairly close. Oh, really? You grew up. Yeah. A lot of people were born in Dayton for some reason. (laughs) It's a a popular place to be born. Yeah. My family's from Cleveland. And then my dad got a job out of college in Dayton. And my mom was nine months pregnant with me. I was born in September and she finished up the school year uh, and then moved to San Diego. And I was born like within a month. So, okay. But my parents are are from (laughs) Cleveland too. 
close oh, to them. awesome. That's yeah. cool. Like a suburb of Cleveland? Uh, they're from the east side, like University Heights, Cleveland Heights. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my family's from the west side then. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. So Columbus, and uh, what about music? Did you, I, Do you come from like a creative or musical household at all? Yeah, I come from a very creative house. I mean, my dad was a lawyer. My mom was a school teacher and then a guidance counselor. Um, but my mom paints, my dad sculpts, you know, oh, they, wow. they just always had this kind of side visual art thing going on just, just as a, you know, hobby, but they're both quite good. And my mom was a singer and it was a, it was a musical household. I mean, there was classical music, there were show tunes, there were, my dad loved Bob Dylan and Jim Croce. And my mom was John Denver and Peter, Paul and Mary and Judy Collins. And um, so there was a lot of like folky guitar kind of singer songwriter stuff going on in the house, Simon and Garfunkel Beatles, obviously. So I think I grew up with an ear or like a taste for like kind of open chords and like great storytelling in songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't, I, you know, it wasn't until I started making my own music. I mean, I knew where my taste took me, but it wasn't until I, I uh, started making my own music and actually started getting asked about my musical influences that I really went back in the vault and kind of looked at like how I was brought up or what kind of music was in the house when I was growing up. Was that kind of what you gravitated towards when you started writing songs? Cause I mean, your songs are, have all that, right? I mean, the lyrical depth and they have that folky, like acoustic sound, but you know, there's other elements in there, of course, but I feel like that's kind of the realm you're in right now. Yeah. And I think some of that is my taste. Like some of that is, it's actually, it's actually really, it's a lot easier to put a story across like a three or four chord progression than it is to get funky. I don't know. There's, there's something, uh, the way I want to tell stories and songs is actually served by a more simple kind of acoustic palette. Um, But the other, the other thing that I've realized, and this is, I hope this is encouraging to, to uh, new guitar players is like, if you learn a couple basic chords, like you can write thousands and thousands of songs. And in some ways, my limitations as a more novice songwriter actually served me in the, in the kinds of stories I wanted to tell, if that makes sense, you know, kind of three chords and a truth, you know, country folky kind of Americana um, stuff is actually quite simple. You know, if you hear a, John Prine song, or, you, you know, you just look up the chords and it's like, Oh, I know those chords. I knew those chords pretty quick. I mean, the art is, you know, writing a song like John, Prine, you know, which is like, <laughs> sure. that's a whole different level of, of mastery. But at the same time, you can play a John Prine song like pretty quick when you learn the basic chords. So I think in some ways my limitation and my limitations ended up being a virtue of my songwriting, if that makes sense. No, 100 percent. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at a John Prine song, it, it comes to the lyrics and the melody, not so much like a shredding guitar part. Right. It's no. Just, and and I've actually been heartened. You know, Leonard Cohen started playing, you know, he didn't start writing songs till his mid 30s. Like a lot of great. Uh, I have a friend who's a, a drummer and a producer in Woodstock, and he was like, some of my favorite songwriters can barely play their instrument. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. <laughs> 
And then, and then you have people who are like absolute guitar virtuosos who, who are not good songwriters who, who wouldn't even try to write songs. So I think that I, I, I definitely think of myself as a songwriter more than a guitar player. And I, I'm trying to get better and better at guitar, which I have I've now been playing about six and a half years in earnest, mm-hmm. but I'm really, um, my guitar playing is to, uh, you know, kind of give a, the soil for my songs to sprout out of rather than, you know, trying to do anything super fancy. Sure. Yeah. Cause you can tell the story and it's just putting the chords kind of to what you, you know, the melody and obviously the, yeah. The- and I think it can be really affecting and moving, you know, the more simple things can be like when I, um, you know, I started writing songs with Ben Lee, who you, uh-huh. you know, an Aussie songwriter and yeah, I learned a ton from him. And he, he used to say he really liked writing with me because my ear was like as a fan rather than a musician. Like I would always think, I don't want to hear, do I want to hear this or not? Like do mm. I'm trying to make music. Like I would actually want to put on and re-listen to. And he said, when you've been doing it for a really long time, sometimes musicians start to get a little fancy or they're, they're kind of like trying to impress other musicians. Sure. Or like doing an unexpected thing. And he would do certain things. And I go, I don't, I don't know if I like that. And he'd be like, okay, we'll just, we'll just get back to like a more simple <laughs> way of things. But he actually appreciated it because it got him back to a more simple place. Yeah. And those are great albums that you guys did together. You did oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, the, yeah, I really, yeah. Yeah. I really like those. You said you've been playing guitar, what you said, six years, but prior to about that, six were years. You, yeah. Were you in piano lessons or anything like that as a kid? I played violin or? when I was a kid for about four oh. years. And okay. I was, I was decent. I mean, I stopped, I think around junior high, just cause I wanted to, I liked girls and I wanted to you know, get out. <laughs> oh, violin wasn't cutting it. I guess. Yeah. Violin wasn't going to help me. I should have switched. <laughs> if I had any sense, I would have switched over to an acoustic guitar. And, uh, it could have helped me out. But I think when I started, I had some muscle memory of the left hand, you know, mm. something of that from the violin really stuck. Uh, the right hand, you know, the strumming w- was what I really needed to work on and pick up and the finger picking and all that. Um, but I do think having a, a kind of, uh, you know, just some history with a string instrument was helpful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, being able to push the chords and move your hands is a huge piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, acting has been a big, big part of your career. Um, at what point were you or like what kind of made you want to start songwriting or kind of produce, uh, pursuing that in, uh, in the way, you know, you it was kind of, a. I mean, it's, it's in some ways, um, I don't know if you read Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic. No, I haven't. Yeah. But it's a great book about creativity. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like your best, most creative friend giving you this great pep talk about being an artist. And one of the things she talks about is like following your curiosity mm-hmm. is like even better than following your passion because sometimes you don't know what you're passionate about, but you might be curious about something. And she got really curious about flowers. Like she wanted these big flowers and and she started, she was like, where's this flower come from? She really was intrigued by this one flower. And then she started learning about like these flower wars in the 18th century and pirates and all this stuff having to do with transporting flowers, you know, across oceans. Mm-hmm. And it became a, a novel of hers called the signature of all things. And, and I, Ben was just a good friend of mine and he thought that I would be a fun collaborator to write one song. So 
we wrote one song and it was based on a melody that I had had in a dream that I croaked into my iPhone. Oh, wow. Uh, Wider Spaces, uh, the final song on our first record. Mm-hmm. And then he said, let's write another song next week. So we got together. We wrote a song called Be Like the Being. And then we, uh, the third time we got together to write songs, he said, let's make a record, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so like the next thing I knew, we were just having such a fun collaboration that we wanted to keep going. So we made a record and then we end up touring South America and Australia and different spots in the, in the States. And suddenly I was in a band, you know, it, it was very like, I was just having fun with it. And then about halfway through, you know, uh, we did the whole first record, pr- like total co-collaboration on music and lyrics, but he was playing guitar and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up the guitar and I wrote a song, um, and uh, he really liked it. And he said, you should play this at shows. So I started playing a song and he started, he would do a song. We would each take our own kind of slot. And then people really liked it. And then I just got some, I just got a, I just got it in my head. Like I want to write my own songs. You know, some of the songs I would come in with a chord progression or an, a lyrical idea, a melodic idea. And they became rather and release songs. And a lot of them became my own songs, but it really, um, it really was just, I, I started writing songs with Ben and then I started writing songs by myself and then I would play them for Ben and I would get all this encouragement or little tips here and there. Um, so I got to have this really equal partnership with a great songwriter, but I also got this like cool apprenticeship with a great songwriter sure. uh, all at the same time. This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the ultimate Dragon Ball experience on your mobile device. Dragon Ball Legends features action-packed anime action RPG gameplay with Goku, Vegeta, Trunks, and all your favorite Dragon Ball characters. Summon your favorite characters from popular Dragon Ball anime series, such as Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT to Dragon Ball Super. Fight in real time against friendly or rival Dragon Ball players from across the globe in live PvP battles. Enter ratings matches with your favorite Dragon Ball characters and earn rating points and rewards. Unite with friends to defeat powerful foes in co-op. Dragon Ball Legends features the best anime fighting scenes on your mobile device. And now, Legends Festival is on, so you can get up to 300 free summon tickets. Are you ready? Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Available for free on both iOS and Android devices. Why, hello friends, it is Adam from Bringing It Backwards. And I am here to talk to you about Factor, which I absolutely love, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. This holiday season, you may be looking for some nutritious, flavorful meals on your jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared dietitian approved ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door you'll save time and you'll stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of those holiday to-dos the thing i love about factor is you skip the meal planning you skip the grocery store shopping the chopping prepping and cleaning up you get factors fresh never frozen meals delivered right to your door they're ready in just two minutes So all you have to do is just heat it up and enjoy. Treat yourself to high-quality, delicious meals over the holidays. Choose from over 35 chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences. 
whether it's calorie smart or you're vegan or veggie, you want more protein, protein plus, and more wholesome options, Factor has delicious, dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. I recently had the shredded chicken taco bowl, which was absolutely delicious. It had roasted corn salsa, cilantro, lime, sour cream. Delicious, only 540 calories. Or if you need an extra boost to support those wellness goals so you feel your best during the holidays, there are Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And guess what? That shredded chicken taco bowl I had, not only calorie smart, but it was a protein plus meal as well. And all I had to do, super easy, pop it in the microwave for two minutes, delicious meal, 540 calories, and over 30 grams of protein. But Factor isn't just for dinner. You can count on extra convenience any time of the day with an assortment of over 55 add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Choose from quick breakfast items, lunch to go, grab and go snacks, and ready to drink cold pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Factor offers offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. This December, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your doorstep. They're ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. And for you Bringing It Backwards listeners, head to factormeals.com slash BIBTV50. That's BIBTV50. Use the code BIBTV50 to get 50% off. Factormeals.com slash BIB50. Use the code BIB50. To get 50% off, that's code BIBTV50 at factormeals.com slash BIB50 to get 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Going up on a stage and playing your song and singing your songs for the first time, was that a lot different than I know you've done, you know, theater and, and big plays and stuff like that. Was it a different vibe? Like, OK, now I've got to go out like I, I've studied this. I know how to, how I'm supposed to do these this role in this uh, show. But versus, OK, I got to go out here and do my own thing. Like, how are people going to receive this? Yeah, I would say like 50 percent of my skills from my other careers were directly transferable. Okay. <laughs> 50% were like I had to learn completely new. So I understood how to be in front of an audience, how sure. to speak into a microphone. The in-between song patter came very easily to me. Okay. Um, and even just being vulnerable in public and sharing a, a personal kind of thing that, that was okay for me. What was new for me was, holding a guitar, um, the technical aspects, being relaxed enough to strum in rhythm, to, to finger pick where my, my fingers wouldn't be too nervous. And, um, you know, there were just certain technical things that I had to pick up. Uh, I remember my early Radnor and Lee shows with Ben by the end of the show, my voice, my throat felt like it was closing up. Like I didn't, I didn't know, I, I didn't understand. So, I mean, I, I'd always been a singer, but I, I really had to relearn or learn and, you know, for the first time, certain things. Um, and, you know, in at early in Radner and Lee shows, 
I would, I pick, I started playing guitar on a couple songs with Ben way earlier than I should have been paying, playing for paying audiences. Okay. <laughs> just tell the sound guy, like Ben's guitar way up, mine way down. And I, would just, <laughs> I would just be looking at Ben trying to match his strum, but it was, it was kind of amazing because it, it thrust me out. You know, it's, I, I don't know. I almost feel like it's like a, like a baby bird or something where you're, you just like kick them out of the nest and they're like, they have to fly or something. Right. Yeah. Here you go. Figure um, it out. <laughs> you know, they'll figure it out. Or you throw someone in the water. It's like, okay, I guess I'm swimming now. You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It was a little like that, but in a, in a, in a somewhat safe context. Yes. That's cool. Um, and then you guys did a record, what that you had to kind of pick up during the pandemic or were you finished with the album and we you had a finished whole day? It, we finished it a couple months before the pandemic. And then, uh, you know, it came out June of 2020, which was a really hard moment. You know, there was so much going on every from every angle and we couldn't tour. Um, I wonder, you know, I I think Golden State, our second record is it's still I'm so proud of that record. I think there's some amazing songs on there and I wish we could have taken it on the road. Maybe we will one day. Mm hmm. And then you did your, that's after that is when you did the solo, your first solo album or the EP. Yeah, right? I did. I did an EP with my buddy, Ryan Dilmore, who produced the first Radner and Lee record. We did a five song EP called one more than I'll let you go. Um, that uh, I think that came out in spring of 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I, I was just backlogged with so much music and uh, that's why we have a double album for this okay. one. I had a yeah, ton well, of songs. Yeah. So you took your, from the the story I read was you you and your dog headed out to Nashville letting recorded the, the the album will kind of spark the whole idea to to do this well i i was um I was going through a breakup uh of a pretty you know uh significant relationship and um for reasons that I won't go into I couldn't really be in l a like um my ex was still in my house because she li was living with me and um so I went to Columbus, Ohio and my parents were in California. So I, my childhood home was empty and I was just kind of, you know, nursing my wounds and I was sad and I was angry and I was just kind of confused about everything. And my buddy, Kyle Cox, who's a great Nashville songwriter who I've written a lot of songs with. Um, he just one day was like, why don't you come to Nashville? Like you're, you, you have this window in your schedule. I had some acting work maybe coming up in New York, but he was like, why don't you come to Nashville? We'll record a bunch of your songs. And uh, our other friends, Corey Quintard and Jeremiah Dunlap were free. And they were like, we'd love to work on some music with you. So, so I took my dad's car and I had my dog Nelson with me and we, you know, just drove out to, to Nashville. I got an Airbnb. We turned it into a studio for a month and I just lived there and made this record with these guys. And it was heaven. You know, it was like, it really, pulled me out of that funk I was in. I ended up um, halfway through, I had gone to New York for this thing. My buddy invited me to, and I met um, this woman who I'm now engaged to. Oh, so wow. congratulations. Like, yeah. Like, thanks. Halfway through the recording of this, I met my future wife. So it feels like that time in Nashville feels very significant musically, but also personally. Sure. Did that like kind of change the course of the album? It sounded like in the beginning, it was like, you know, you're in this kind of deep, dark place and then you go to Nashville and you're recording the album and then halfway through you find this person that's going to be your wife. And yeah, did you come back to have to finish or like to finish the album or. Yeah, yeah. So we did. I did two weeks, met her and then two more weeks afterwards. Um, well, we fell into a very, very deep um, 
kind of email texting phone call kind of, you know, we didn't see each other again for about a month. And it was kind of like this time of, you know, Victorian letter writing kind of Mm. getting to know you and she's a psychologist and she specializes in the connection between love and death and how presence, the awareness of death among uh, in romantic partnerships actually increases intimacy and connection. So I don't know that the album would have been called eulogy had I not met her because we were, we were talking so much about mortality and about love. And, um, and at some point I just realized that the album, every song on the record, I could actually probably make a case for every song on the record or almost every song being a kind of elegy or eulogy for a part of myself, uh, that had served me up to a point, but was no longer necessary. You know, these, these different, these different kind of either masks we're wearing or different aspects of our personality that are more pronounced. And then, you know, it's kind of the thing of like, once you're across the river, you can drop the canoe. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of these songs are about the canoe that helped me get somewhere. And then, you know, they're, they're kind of mini funerals. Um, And I don't mean that in a morbid way. I mean that in a kind of like transformative way, you know, that they were, were serving me. Um, so yeah, death was in the air, you know, the breakup of a relationship, but also rebirth, you know, the start of a new one. Um, you know, every, every death is kind of followed by a resurrection in some ways. Yeah. hundred percent. And I was going to say, cause like even the most recent single learning, it doesn't, I can see where you're coming from with that. It could be about, you know, a loss or a death, but it's also has this positive, you know, you're just saying, you know, I'm learning this, I'm, I'm learning this, I'm, I'm still learning. And you're, you're kind of going through these phases of your life. Yeah. And that song is towards the end of the record. Cause I kind of see the record as being a progression towards in some ways that song and the final song, oh. 45, 46, which are, they're more awakened songs or they're more, there's more peace and acceptance and surrender in those songs than in the early songs in the record, which are, I would say a little more conflicted. Um, so there is a kind of narrative, like a sonic lyrical narrative running through and learning is, you know, it's about learning to be sad and scared and lonely and, and learning that it's okay to be these things. Because I think a lot of us, especially men are raised to fear and repress and deny certain emotions like those that, that can be seen as fragile or weak or, um, and I've found that like the, my tr- like true, almost masculine st- strength lies in accepting and integrating those emotions rather than denying or repressing those. So it was really, yeah. um, you know, some of my songs are like, like they almost function as pep talks to myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be lonely. Um, and in some ways you have to stage a rebellion against the cultural forces that told you it was not okay to feel those things. Yeah. I, I'm, and, I, and I love what you said, cause it, it is like that. It's like you, you want to, as a, as a, you know, a male, most of the time it's like, Oh, rub some dirt. In it. You know, you're good. Just keep moving. Don't think about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Walk it off. And, uh, you're yeah, super vulnerable in the song. You're saying, Hey, like these things are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to, mean, to oh, no, no, I just, I just <laughs> love, you know, I don't know how to say that in a movie. I mean, I could say that in a movie on some level, but like as a four minute kind of exploration, it works really well. It's got a three act structure, you know, lonely, scared, sad, right? Like it, it kind yeah. of goes through these different ways we try not to, or we, we were taught to not feel these things. And um, 
I just like having a storytelling forum that you can say so much in four minutes, you know, that can be really moving and kind of alter, hopefully the course of someone's day. Yeah. I find that fascinating because you are, uh, you know, you can write films and in your screenwriter and, and these other things that, that you have to write what a longer form thing, like if it's a television show or if it's a movie, being yeah. able to kind of really get to, okay, I'm going to say all these things in, in four minutes, or maybe you can do uh, write an idea that like you said, Oh, like I want to be able to write a, a movie for this. It would make a good show or whatever, but I'm just going to be able to do it in, in a short form. Yeah. And in some ways I kind of think because I have all these storytelling forms at my disposal at this point, I kind of think, okay, if I have an idea, is this a song? Is this a play? Is this a movie? Like they each have different, um, they do different things Mm -hmm. and they're useful in different ways, depending on the material. So I kind of let the, the content dictate the form, you know, I might get an idea I mean, I've had some movie ideas or some bigger ideas that I think I haven't been able to crack it as like a movie or a play. And I think maybe that's a song, like maybe just the central idea is a song and I'll get something kind of crystalline out of that. Yeah. That, and yeah, you haven't put up the like really for, uh, went into those yet. So it's like, okay, I have this idea. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. But maybe it's a song. Yeah. And there's also something really satisfying about the fact that a movie soup to nuts, if you get the financing, you know, it's that, that's yeah. a two year process you know sure. I mean? like, yeah. by the time you're actually ready to show people the final, but you can sit down with a co-writer or by yourself. And if you catch a wave with a song, you can have something that afternoon that you can lay down that you could actually release, you know, mm-hmm. and there's something so satisfying if you like finishing things, which I really like finishing things. Um, there's something so satisfying about songwriting because you can get it up into a kind of presentable shape really fast. Yeah. You don't have to get so many people involved, right? I mean, you no, you don't need an army of people to tell yeah. the story of a song, but you definitely need an army of people to make a movie. Right. And nowadays with the ability to record anywhere, I mean, it sounds like you record this whole thing in an Airbnb, right? It's not like you have to go get a, hundred thousand dollar studio a day rental no although jeremiah has so many tricks and toys that (laughs) like a studio i mean he really tricked this place out it was amazing that's awesome yeah Um, but you know volume two is much more like lo-fi acoustic kind of basement tapes that was when kyle's kids went to sleep i just went over there and we kind of recorded a lot of it straight to tape you know oh wow it's a much more like stripped down uh album than volume one okay and with Volume two, does it kind of continue the storyline or is learning the end of volume one? Uh, there's a song called Joshua 4546 okay. that is uh, volume one. Um, I would say I would have to, I would have to work a little harder to prove there's a narrative to uh, volume two. I think okay. it, uh, you know, it starts with a really political, almost Woody Guthrie-esque song called Don't Get Sick, This Is America. Um, okay. And there's, a, there's some relationship stuff. There's... Um, there's a song about mushrooms called the hero, the hero's dose, you know, um, like, I think, I think it's a little more of a ragtag group of songs, but I think it also, um, they, they weren't like leftovers. They were, they were, I brought about, you know, once we decided, okay, here's 23, 24 songs we really love and could go on either record. We kind of let the ones that the four of us agreed needed a little more, you know, 
push or a little more uh, production behind them. Mm-hmm. Those ended up on volume one. So volume two are just like really sturdy songs that that stood up to just me and a guitar and maybe some harmonica. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I really yeah. like the song on your first EP, the long. I, I love the high road. That's probably my favorite one on the album or the EP, but uh, kiss the morning. I love the intro. It has like this vinyl, like it's like this crackly, like you just put on a record sound. Yeah. It. Yeah. That was Ryan Dillmore. That was his idea. And I love that. I, I think it's so cool. It, it makes it feel, you know, even though everything's digitized now, it still gives it like this analog warmth. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if it's going to kind of have that similar, I mean, if you recorded the tape in the second, uh album is it gonna have kind of that rawness to it yeah 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 definitely like it you you know at one point you hear me just talk to my dog you know before <laughs> that's awesome track. you know it's very like I, I when i listen to it i can feel the kind of low lighting hush of kyle's house you know when everyone had been put to bed and we were just grabbing this time to record these songs I love that. I love I love when artists release things like that, where it's like you feel like you're just there while they're pushing record and just going. Yeah. And I sometimes feel like I I have songwriters that I really love and and I might even hear them live and 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 I just hear them with their guitar and I think it's magic, you know, so and then I hear the record and sometimes I think it's overproduced. I think like you almost can't hear how great the song is or the vocal gets a little buried. and I, and I wanted to, um, I always want to hear the demos. You know what I mean? Like I always want Same people here. to release. <laughs> and then you hear, you know, I, I heard this. I don't know if this is true, but I think it's true that Carol King Tapestry, which is one of my favorite records of all time, uh-huh. um, that she did a demo and the record company loved it. And they sent her into the studio and she did a whole, you know, she, she did the, the album. And then everyone agreed that the demos were better and that's what they released. Like that's what Tapestry is. Like it was the demos. You can fact check that. I could be totally wrong and maybe I made it, but I think it's true. Um, But whenever I hear like Dylan bootlegs or basement tapes Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, even Bon Iver, like that first record, just like, you know, kind of feels like the best demos of all time. Right. I really like that vibe. I really like a stripped down kind of, um, you know, maybe double some vocals, throw in, you know, a little something like a, you know, kick drum or something, but I, I really like spare production. Um, so volume two is definitely that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that as well. Like, I mean, the first album that I fell in love with when I was, uh, in, you know, early middle school was green or dookie from green day. And they released this like 30 year, I don't know. I think it's 30 year anniversary and they put out demos of like a lot of the early songs and it's just like hearing them and how different they were. And I'm like, yeah. wow, like, like, I wish you would like, it's so cool to hear that now, you know, 30 years later, like how it, how it started, but it's almost like, I kind of like the demos of a lot of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I often find that I often find that, you know, uh-huh. um, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, there's something, um, I almost trust it more because you can hear the like the voice and the there's something more piercing that comes through when the production mm-hmm. is more spare for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100 percent. And I also have, I have had other artists on here where they talk about, especially during you know COVID and everything, when you couldn't go to a studio and work with a bunch of people, they would record a vocal track like in their closet or whatever on some cheap mic. And then they would use that on the recording because they try to go back into the studio 
and they just couldn't like re like get the same emotion out. It was like it became oh, just yeah. like, you know, they're doing it um, times. On uh on Red, which is the opening track of the record. Oh, yeah, I love that song. We, um we we did a scratch vocal, kind of like put together a demo. And um it was on like the crappier mic. Like it wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the kind of vocal booth when we mm-hmm. did that. And we tried to record a more proper vocal and we kept coming back to the demo vocals and we're like, these are actually perfect. Like we, 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 we flew in a couple of little bits, but it's mostly that demo vocal that we ended up with. And uh, I always love when that happens. Yeah. Cause it's like trying to recreate the same emotion. I'm, I would imagine being difficult in certain things and certain. Yeah. Songs, you just, you, you got to grab it where the magic was. You got to grab it where and when the magic was happening, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, well, I can't. Yeah. Uh, you got some shows coming up. I know you're doing an, another sold out one, and you're playing L.A. and a bunch of places. And you were just here in Nashville. I wish I would have went, um, but <laughs> not that long. I'm actually. I don't know if they've announced it yet, or if I. I, I am doing uh, Bluebird. I have a couple of uh, really? songwriters joining me. Uh, oh, I, I don't know if we that one. It yet, but keep an eye out for it. I, I will definitely do that because I want to come. I want to come see you because I think you're, yeah, awesome. Not only your acting career, but I love your music. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. And I appreciate your time, Josh. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I have one more question for you uh, before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists that could be, you know, actors or, or songwriters, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, so much. <laughs> I, um, I, I, one of the things I really like about being a creative person, especially when you've got your hooks in an idea, whether it's, a song or, you know, just anything you might be writing. I think it's really cool when you like are out in the world and you just have this kind of antenna out and you know, you might be in line at the coffee shop and you'll hear someone say kind of a hilarious line of dialogue or like hear someone say, you know, like I read something that John Steinbeck wrote his son um, who, who was in love with this girl who he didn't think loved him back. And, his father said, don't worry about it. Nothing good gets away. And I, and I'm, so I'm writing a song called nothing good gets away. Cause it's like a great lyric. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I know. just when your, your antenna's out and everything is usable in some ways. And it, and it makes me feel, I never wanted to, I wanted to have a, not a clear demarcation line between my life and my work. Sometimes that can be unhealthy, but I think the healthier version is I'm a creative person. I'm always on the hunt for good ideas, good words, good, good uh, inspiration, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's almost like keeping your eyes and your ears and your heart open. Just the moment you wake up, the moment you walk outside, like really paying attention to what's going on internally and externally. And it just feels like the universe kind of floats really fascinating stuff by you if you're, if you're listening and watching. Mm-hmm. 